This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those aluminum cans it comes in are recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities so they won't just end up in your local landfill like plastic bottles. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find Liquid Death re- retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com front slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com front slash film study. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the defense from last week against the Patriots from Sunday. Uh, have better news than that previous horrific defensive episode against the Dolphins with the total breakdown. Here to talk about with me is Gordon McGinnis of PFF. Gordon, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, always a pleasure, Gordon. It's always a great football conversation, but uh, tell us a little bit about where they can find your work and, and what your new responsibilities are at PFF. Yeah, so I'm now, I think last time we spoke, I was uh, primarily working on our new soccer venture. I'm now back uh, as head of social media um, at the company because we've now got like multiple sports. I was able to move back in and kind of be over the top of that role. Um, and yet pretty much everyone can just find me on Twitter. Um, it's at PFF underscore Gordon. All right. Ravens fan yourself, correct? I am indeed. Yeah, I, uh, I spent quite a lot of last week explaining Lamar Jackson's grade to people. So I was quite glad when he has, is now heading into Monday Night Football, the highest graded quarterback in the NFL this season. So it's a, a different week for me on Twitter, I think. Let's talk a little bit about that, because that's a topic a lot of Baltimore fans have. And we got you on for the defensive show, but everybody wants to hear about Lamar Jackson anyway, if they if they can. It's always been my contention. I think that, that PFF people, starting with Eric Eager, but also a lot of the interns that, that I've had on the show before and other folks, Neil even, uh, were, were people who were very conciliatory about the notion that what PFF did for grading did not really capture the greatness of Lamar Jackson. Yeah, Eric had a thread earlier this year, and he he retweeted it himself earlier today, I think it was, or at the end of yesterday. And he so he made some good points around 
the type of player he is, uh, you have to accept that we've never really seen a player like this in the offense that he's in. Um, his comparison was Michael Vick was very much a, a scrambler rather than a designed runner and those things. And what I think even Eric didn't touch on, the thing I'm always drawn to is the stress Lamar Jackson puts on opposing linebackers is something that is not, you know, how, how do you how do you quantify that? You can look at different ways that, and Eric's pointed out before, I think, like mm-hmm. play-action uh, issues and how much uh, linebackers are drawn in by on those play-action things. Outside of that, it's really difficult to quantify just the mental stress that must be placed on those linebackers. Yeah, and a lot of the Ravens' offense is getting is Lamar getting other people to move themselves out of place. Lamar creates unforced errors in a defense by forcing them to move. Out. And the Ravens' offense generally is very well designed. As much as Roman gets crap, uh, they have very well designed offense to horizontally attack the defense. Uh, you know, across the line of scrimmage, and when they have the right players in particular, and Justice Hill now maybe seems like he's the right back for this team. Uh, to, to, to threaten with speed to the outside. You can threaten with a jet sweep to the other side with Duvernay. You can go the counter to, to provide uh, you know, stress to that side of the field. But I thought that the work that Eric had done in terms of the linebacker movement was very seminal. I wanted to get him on before he left BFF to, to have a, a little session on that. Yeah, yeah. And Eric's uh, moving on to um, another company and he's going to, I'm sure he's very much going to, going to stay in the football world on social media Mm -hmm. and people will still be able to be able to talk to him. But I I mean, I've learned a ton from him over the last four or five years. Yeah. Terrific applied mathematician. Did you know him before then he came to PFF? He hasn't been at PFF for five years now. So uh, full time, he might've been about five years now. So I actually uh, was, the person who trained Eric on special teams player participation when he first joined ah. the company, because that was my my first full time role with the company. In my what, my second year, actually, was I was responsible for running the special teams uh, player participation and analysis processes. And Eric was someone who was a, a lecturer or professor in mm-hmm. uh, college still at the time, um, so he kind of just did a little bit of that in his spare time. And like at first, I was just like, "Oh, this guy's great at identifying players." I didn't realize he was this really smart mathematician who could do a bunch of stuff. And then over the years, he then eventually came on board full time and was was well above uh, knowing who was on the field. Yeah, Uh, definitely. uh, I think he would give you guys that kind of model review that would be very valuable. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you folks have it now because you understand a lot of the biases that go along with this. But Eric, just a wonderful applied mathematician, PhD in it, and. uh, very, very fun guy to talk football with, that's for sure. But let's get back to the Ravens here. Uh, they had a, uh, a good and a bad game in a lot of ways. The injuries continue. Uh, obviously, McCary is a serious injury uh, with uh, Daniel Fa'olele going in for him, and the Ravens now really scrambling for options at left tackle. Yeah, I mean, when you're midway through week three and you're on your fourth string left tackle, who isn't really a left tackle... Um, anyway, it's not it's not a great spot to be in, and it's just a position they've got incredibly unlucky with. And a year ago, everyone blamed them for okay, you traded away Orlando Brown, you had no backup plan if Ronnie Stanley wasn't going to be able to go. You can't say that this year. They they brought back McCarry, who was like a great swing tackle or guy to help out across the offensive line, filling injuries. You had Joan James, mm-hmm. and you hoped Ronnie Stanley would be there. And you know, and at worst, right tackle. Yeah, 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 and and right tackle sorted. So, at worst, you think okay, you know, even if two of those things don't go right, we probably still feel okay about left tackle. For all three of those things to currently be going against them just three weeks into the season is just it's just rotten luck. And I think a lot of people will probably make a lot more out of it than than that. Sometimes in football, you just get unlucky, and injuries are one of those things that certainly, you know, in most cases are are generally a luck based thing. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I mean, they, they had uh, four tackles on the roster. Uh, I couldn't have asked for more. Um, they, the, the only other guy that they, I guess they could have right now is Tyree Phillips. If they decided that they needed to cut Ben Powers, say, and go with Cleveland at guard, they could have had maybe one more guy. Tyree Phillips at a left tackle scares the heck out of me for a season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, Daniel Fa'alele, has all, he has upside. Whether or not that uh, will be realized, whether or not he can ever be a left tackle is still very much a question. Um, but the guy is so raw and so physical and so imposing that I'm, I'm excited 
and hopeful for what can happen, even though I, I think his chances to excel at left tackle are fairly limited this year. Yeah, and I think he improved as the game... Two, two things I thought were true yesterday. He improved as the game went on. When he first came in, he was very nervous. He was mm-hmm. you know late in his stance, all those things. He got better as the game went on, and I think the Ravens also geared the offense to kind of protect him a little bit, gave him a little bit more help and all those things. This is a week where they're going to go up and play the Buffalo Bills, and he'll go up against Von Miller a lot. So if it's if it's him instead of Ron Lee, Ronnie Stanley at left tackle, that's a, that's a big concern, a big mismatch early on, I think. Yeah, and I, I think that's likely to be the case, unfortunately, based on uh, you know what Ronnie did not travel this last week. That, to me, is a fairly big indicator. He did not practice on Friday. That's not a good thing. Obviously, that pretty much rules you out for the game. So he's had trouble practicing consecutive days. I believe he may have done it twice now, or he may have just done it once on, on Wednesday and Thursday this week. So lots of talk about, about left tackle situations on the defensive side of the ball. They were not immune to injuries. The injury to Houston, very serious at an equally thin position. Um, you know, it's not maybe as absolutely critical as left tackle is, but uh, to, to have all the edges go down this year the way they have all the outside linebackers and be scrambling for practice squad guys. And, uh, uh, you know, Jeremiah moon may get a may get a call up this time. They just signed Jason Pierre Paul. Maybe he's got something left. Where are you on that? Yeah. Like the last time we saw him play, he was okay. Is probably the, the best description you could maybe give for him. And this is a position whereby, I think they've definitely got unlucky with the number of injuries they had. It's the position whereby I think they were effectively maybe trying trying to get by until David Ojabo could maybe come in in the second half of the season. Tyus Bowser, obviously, he's not you know a true edge, um, but like those guys get back in kind of mid season and being able to contribute. And again, just the attrition of injuries at that position means that they're now really scrambling um, and. I get it's going to be something that you know it's it's very tough for them. They're they're going to be fielding guys out there who aren't really starting caliber edge guys in the NFL, and they're going to be forced to ask Odafi Owe to play, you know, ridiculous. A, a ridiculous amount of snaps. Yeah, yeah. I I've, I'm already very concerned about that. About you know perhaps an in, increased injury risk for Owe, but certainly a decreased effectiveness from what he could be at the end. I, I, it was good to see him at the end of this game, register a couple of pressures on that last drive. I think it might have been two, but he, he had, uh, he, he had, he delivered a little bit of pressure at the very end, at least as I define it, uh, uh, to, uh, uh, to cap off a game where he was held a lot, challenged a lot. Um, did really wasn't a great game for Adafi. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting. You mentioned that they held a lot of thing. I, I hate, I hate blaming officials and I hate being critical mm-hmm. of officials, Watching that game, the amount of times I audibly yelled out, "Oh, that's a hold! That's a hold!" <laughs> and nothing was called. There was, there was a good few on like uh, when Matt uh, Mac Jones broke broke the pocket, guys being held there. That was uh, that was a little bit frustrating. Belichick is really known for scouting the officiating crew, and he may have he may have looked ahead and said, "Hey, these guys call holding only twenty percent as often; it won't be that much less." Or they call holding thirty percent less than other crews. And if they if it was something like that, then they might have said, "Just take some chances, holding. We'll see how it goes." And, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, one of the things that happened to the Ravens that I think is good from their perspective is that a Miami team that had the the big comeback of them came back and proved they appear to be for real with that win over Buffalo. Yeah, that was a huge win for for Miami, and I think. You know, I I think you could make the case that in a lot of ways Miami were better against Buffalo than they were against Baltimore. Where the the thing that still frustrates me about that game is that that was the type of game that the Ravens had in hand, and they oh, yeah. just had to see out the game. And you see out the game by being able to run the ball and not you know not losing guys on the back end, and they they did both of those things. So I I think I think you probably look at that and say, okay, the Dolphins are probably a better team than we gave them credit for. And it's still a little bit frustrating that the Ravens probably should be three zero at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I both things certainly true. When you say losing guys on the back end, boy, you could mean it in either way. They had guys <laughs> injured, and but you really mean I think run right past them on the back yeah, end. Yeah, and, and yeah. But here's what really bothers me bothered me about that game more than anything: the Ravens are built 
to play dime defense. And one of the ways, you know, you, you, you've watched, I'm sure, charts that have the flow of snaps as they go through the game. You play dime automatically on third and obvious passing situations, which usually means third and medium to long. You play dime at the end of the first half when the team has to, in a limited amount of time, move the football. And you play dime at the end of the game if you have a big lead and the other team has to pass the ball to come back. They have to effectively trade turnovers for yards. This team is made to have eyes in the backfield generate all sorts of turnovers in such situations. Against Miami, they couldn't make it work. They had assignment blowups, you know, primarily some of it with Hamilton, some of it with other players, but most, you know, with Hamilton in, in part. And in, in this game, they, com- they look like a different team out there. They, they exactly knew what was going on. Eyes in the backfield. Peters is making plays. Marcus Williams is still making plays. And uh, Humphrey made, made a couple big plays. Yeah, I, I thought it was great to see both Humphrey and Peters very much like kind of had their swagger back and looked like they were really confident with what the offense was going to do. Um, so, I, I, you know, I think that's obviously something those guys getting back healthy was going to take a little bit of time, Peters especially. Um, it, it's, it just looks like a different defense when they can be on their game. I, I, I agree completely. I, I'm big on, they had two cornerbacks benched in this game, which by the way, I'd like to go back the last time that two cornerbacks were benched in a single game and the team still won. I cannot imagine that has happened often in the history of the NFL. First of all, benching two cornerbacks is not that common because you don't usually have you know a close competition among your third, fourth, and fifth corners. But they they started a game with Jalen Armour Davis. He only played eight snaps, non penalties, including and and then uh, he made he gave up two big plays, a thirty one and a forty, I think. And then they went to Stevens, and he gave up two big plays on the first drive of the second half. They yanked him. So they're not showing a lot of tolerance for this, which is good because they have guys who are fairly close in ability. Then they put in Pepe Williams. And even though you know, I, I noticed that PFF did not grade him much better, I thought he was more effective than the other two, uh, discernibly. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think the, the big thing with Jalen Armour Davis is just the big play, you know, giving up big plays early in that game. Um, and I, I, again... I don't want to say people made a lot of it, but there was a lot of talk around Devontae Parker putting up big numbers. And, you know, a lot of that came from a couple of big plays. You know, he had five five receptions. You know, I I think the the starting cornerbacks on the outside in Humphrey and Peters weren't giving up a lot. And I think sometimes that was the type of game that I think the Ravens actually were not not okay, but could survive giving up the, the plays they gave up to Devontae Parker because they didn't give up a whole lot. Like on the outside, mm-hmm. well, the the um, I, I believe in this game, and, and I haven't looked at the PFF stuff to see w- how they lined up slot wise and whatnot. But Humphrey was in the slot a lot early in the game, and they might have been doing some matchup play. But honestly, I'm not. I wasn't on top of it this game like I, like I should be. Um, Jalen Armour Davis was on the outside. He was he was playing right cornerback to start the game, and I thought Stevens was also there at left. Yeah, no. I think I think you're right. I think Stevens was left because Stevens hasn't played a lot in the slot this season. It's been mm-hmm. it's been a lot of outside. Okay, so anyway, right there, that's moving Humphrey back to the slot. I know, I, I don't know how you feel about. It, so I want to let I want to speak about I, it. But. I, I mean, he might be the best slot cornerback in the NFL or a top five slot cornerback in the mm-hmm. NFL. But every slot cornerback in the NFL is put in an incredibly tough position where mm-hmm. you naturally give up more receptions, you know, you're naturally faced with no help with the sideline and those things. And it's the type of situation whereby I understand why at times they will do that with Humphrey because, you know, they have no they have no other option. They they have to be in a stronger position having solid cornerback play in the slot and, and Humphrey on the outside. And I think, you know, the the injury to Fuller probably made them a little bit nervous about that but I definitely think you saw you saw Humphrey um you know really play well in this game yeah I I do too and I I'm I'm with you 100 percent that I think his physicality uh you you I mean you can win with physicality I mean slot corners need to be good downhill players they need to be able to tackle they need to be able to beat people up at the line of scrimmage because sometimes that's the only way you can win they need to be able to cover a tight end sometimes all of that stuff but I, I, I really believe Humphrey's physicality works better on the outside as being a, a guy who pinches to the boundary, something we saw from Peters in this game, a guy who uses those baseball bat-like arms to, to hammer even a big receiver uh, and deflect the ball. And I love the way he played press off the line of scrimmage on the fourth and three play and came up and made that play. That's not a play 
a lot of guys can do if they're not a very physical corner. Yeah, and, and you know he's one of those players who I remember watching him at Alabama. And my big concern was he got he didn't get beat often. When he got beat, he got beat deep, mm-hmm. and I think he's improved in that a lot in the NFL. But just as you said, has the has the play strength, has the physicality to come up and and make plays when he has to. And I think that's probably the skill set that makes them trust him in the slot when they have to. You know, they know he's not going to miss a lot of tackles. They know he can he can wrap up and and get things done. Um, but yeah, like you, I, I far prefer when they have a defense that they can play him on the outside. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about the uh, the, the defense a little bit. I, one of the things I wanted to discuss was how the secondary played in the dime. And I don't think you can get this. Sometimes you can't even get this thing with the numbers, but let's talk about it. Tale of two halves against the Dolphins. The dime in the first half, six plays, 20 yards, 3.3. I believe Marcus Williams might have had an interception in there too. So very effective in the first half against the Dolphins. And then for some reason, the Dolphins found the secret sauce at halftime, which is just run deep against the Ravens guys, I guess. And the diamond quarter in the second half, 20 plays, 266 yards, 13.3 yards per play, four touchdowns, no interceptions, and a perfect passer rating. Doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> much worse than that. Yeah, yeah it's not ideal. <laughs> All right, versus the Patriots, we'll turn this around a little bit. The diamond quarter in the first half was back to probably a little bit below average success. Eight plays, 61 yards, so it's 7.6. They did have a sack in there. Um, but but they still didn't really look like the Ravens' dime in terms of being able to lean on opponents even on on critical down and distance. In the second half, eight plays, forty eight yards. That's six yards per, per play. But that doesn't even tell you the story because I need to give you the actual plays for you to get the story. So play number one, Matty BK S minus five forces a punt. Play number two, Jones eight yard scramble right. That was on third and nine. It did bring up that fourth and one that they converted. That was a shame, but. Uh, you know, it's going to happen once in a while. The quarterback's going to get out of the pocket. Number three, Humphrey interception in the end zone. Number four, Aguilar fumbled after a 28-yard reception. So that's where a lot of their yards came from yep. in this situation. Uh, the incomplete forced by away pressure, first play of the last drive. Then Copeland's S-7. So that, that put him in a very bad position. Born the 24-yard reception that, that Peters pride, for, pride free and Queen was not able to collect. How, how upset were you with Queen about that? It's, it's tough. Like I, and I, I, I'm someone who is very critical of Patrick Queen a lot mm-hmm. of the time. I feel like that and the and the the dropped potentially could have been a huge pick yeah. six. Uh, De- defensive players. That's not. I always find it really difficult to criti- criticize defensive players for not making kind of offensive plays, if you will. I want to come back to that in one second. That'll be our next topic, okay? Because I, I I was very frustrated by that, by technique as opposed to um, result. Okay, so so here's... Uh, the last play was Campbell's quarterback hit, which may have ended the Patriots season by knocking... We haven't heard yet, yeah. have we? In terms uh, of high, severe high ankle, I think, is what they're saying. Oh, that's amazingly fortunate. Yeah. He, he'll probably still miss half a season, but, yeah. uh, but he's not going to miss the whole thing. And that's developmentally, they won't lose the year. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to hear for them. Uh, and then uh, uh, the interception by Peters, of course, was on that play that, that put the game to rest finally. Uh, yeah. It's a great, great game anyway for the dime defense. And, and they came back. And, and this is the formula that the Ravens can win by on defense, I believe. Now, giving up 26 points, no one's going to say that's good. But, you know, getting the lead is something the Ravens are perfectly capable of doing with a Lamar Jackson-led offense that I hope can be better than how it was in this game. Maybe I'm overstating you know, what happens at left tackle. But I, I, this is a team that I hope can win by this formula. Yeah, and I think everyone was really critical of the defense, and I think the part that 26 points isn't great, I, realistically, it was kind of like 19-plus because the offense obviously gave the, the Patriots the ball like 30-yard line. That's a, mm-hmm. It's not ideal in those situations. So I, I don't think the defense was as bad as a lot of people panicked about i thought it watching the game live it felt a lot of times like it was fairly bend but don't break mm-hmm. um and i think you saw that even in some of the big plays they gave up when the forced fumbles and stuff that, that came on the back end and then on the offensive side of the ball that I, I tweeted this last night or earlier today i think that that's the type of game that encapsulates why lamar jackson is lamar jackson mm-hmm. that that was the type of game that they were in a fight and they needed him 
late in the game to put the running game on his shoulders, and that's what he did. And it's just and when when he plays like that, so difficult for opposing defenses. And that's he's had those critical drives against the Seahawks in 2019. There was another couple of games. 49ers. Between. Yeah. yeah. Though just those drives whereby the Ravens just have to see it out and they can just rely on him picking up eight yards, seven yards, 14 yards, all those things. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, Lamar is often criticized for not being a comeback quarterback. Of course, had the great game against the Colts last year, but the, the problem was that Lamar hasn't been behind too many times. I mean, you know, yes. the Ravens, the combination of the Ravens' defense and offense has been pretty dominating for a lot of that period. Let's get back to the other topic now, because we, we, we need to talk about Patrick Queen and some of the missed opportunities on defense. And, and I, you know, I want to pick your brain on what might be the solution for this. But let's first start with the two turnover opportunities. Ball on the ground on Bourne's fumble. That, I, I would say that is fairly rarely recovered by the receiver alone in a crowd of defenders. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, it's, it was a shame. Queen looked like he was upset with himself when he went to the ground. Um, he has had problems. I, I don't want to generalize this. It's too, it's too silly. But, but he, ha- he definitely has had problems using his arms to play football. In, in, in general ways, wrapping up on tackles is not his thing. Uh, shedding blocks is, is something he's had a problems with at the time. And now we saw, of course, the, 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 the fumble opportunities. It's a, it's a play he's got to make with his, with his arms and hands. It takes you know, coordination and quickness and all of the things that you need to, you need to do with that. Do, do you relate those problems at all? Or do you think that, that I'm smoking the wind here? I mean, I, I'd, I'd never considered it before, but I, I mean, all of those things are true. That you know, the, the things he struggled with are around those things and those two plays were things that if he's a little bit quicker with his arms, be it his arms or hand eye coordination or something, then yeah. you know, so I am not I'm not gonna say it's definitely not true. I, mm-hmm. I, I I do, like I said earlier, I always find those plays a little bit tricky because sometimes it's just like the little bob of the ball and just like a bit of a bit of bad luck that, mm-hmm. that leads to those things. Yeah, um, that uh, that certainly is true. I get back to the to the interception now for a minute because that's at the two yard line, and there is unbelievably a completely analogous play in Ravens history. In the two thousand uh, finale against the Jets, the Ravens trailed fourteen to ten with the Jets driving for another score that would have made things very difficult for them in the second half. Obviously, Chris McAllister picked off a ball at exactly the two yard line, outstretching. Took it the other way for six. <laughs> that's what I thought I was looking at with Patrick Queen here uh, in uh, in this game. And the the thing that bothered well, I, I tell you, as you looked at it, what what did you have a problem with? I so I, I think you're going to say something about like his his technique with his hands. I honestly I didn't even really see that. I just remember I remember at the time yelling out, "You've got to catch that!" And yeah. then talking to myself afterwards and being like he's a linebacker like it's you know linebackers realistically <laughs> probably don't have to catch anything but i i mean i do think it was it was definitely a missed opportunity yeah i i, I okay here's here's my problem for starters is if he wants to play the tip drill game to himself which is the only guy he's got to play tip grill in there he has to extend his hands to do it he can't catch the ball in on his body that's how you drop that ball so his hands are all the way in. They're not out where he can, he can possibly start a tip drill to himself. One hand under, one hand side. He could probably, he could probably corral the ball even if it costs him the touchdown, which, which, hey, then it would have at least taken away the New England touchdown, right? Yeah. So uh, it, the, the play, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll go through the, my logic on the thing. It was probably about a 10-point turnaround. And so what I'm saying is New England on second and two from the two yard probably, probably is worth about five and a half points, maybe more than that. But but five and a half, I'll, I would I would call it as pretty reasonable. If you look at the other side of that, Queen uh, going the distance is worth sevens. So that would bring it up to twelve and a half. You can't assume that he do it do it every time, but we're talking about the extreme set of outcomes here. Is is you know it was worth twelve and a half there, and then you have to take away the Ravens' next possession because because New England gets the ball right away. So maybe I take away two and a half points for that. So I've got a ten net point difference by him dropping that interception and not returning it for a pick six. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of adds up with it, mm-hmm. you know, and this is uh, weirdly we're three weeks into the season and you can point to a few different points where the Ravens have had big 
uh, like big single plays that have had big differentials. Delmar fumble yeah. in week two against the Dolphins oh, that yeah. you know leads to what was that ninety six yard drive, whatever it was, going the other way. That you know realistically you can't you can't blame Lamar Jackson for a fourteen point swing there, but mm-hmm. you know, almost scores on the on the previous play and then you know, it winds up being seven the other way. That was, that was an ugly set of plays from the two and then the one yard line with Davis just running into a brick wall yeah. consecutively. He's he's been off the. I didn't get a touch this last week. Um, nope, he and, did. Yeah. I think he I think he had two snaps. I think, but mm-hmm. did, didn't touch the ball. Yeah, that is uh, unusual, but uh, not unwarranted. It's uh, I was you know this is a side. But I was very surprised they did not cut Davis to make room for one extra player on IR, and you know. I don't know how serious the injury is to Daylon Hayes, but he would have been another guy that'd been great to get to IR with the Ravens' current outside linebacker yeah. situation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, on a, on a slightly other, a slightly different tangent, the other, the other thing I was a little bit frustrated with yesterday, and I've campaigned for more Nick Boyle um, mm-hmm. as part of that offense. Now I know there's concerns about how good he can be at this point in his career and stuff, but. To, to dress Nick Boyle for that game and then to play him for four snaps on offense and not have Brent Irvin so Calais Campbell has to play a ridiculous amount mm-hmm. of snaps, that just feels like something that's not managing situations as well as you need to. Right. So I think I agree, by the way, on all that. And Urban could have done Campbell's job in two ways. So I think Campbell was stretched because they really needed him to play edge effectively in the game. So they have inside linebackers that position. But, you know, they're not powerful enough, particularly, you know, a Harrison or somebody to hold the edge there. Maybe Copeland is, and I don't really know. Uh, Copeland looks like a bigger, more physical dude. Yeah. Weighs and and I think he was I think he was solid in that game. Mm-hmm. But but anyway, that I think that's what led to to the absurd amount of snaps for Campbell. But I I had the same opinion, boy. It's you can't do that to your best players; they won't make it through the year. And we've seen that before with Pernell McPhee in particular, being a guy who in 2019 only lasted seven games. We we, fig, we probably figured him for 15, 18 snaps a game, coming off where he'd been, and all of a sudden he's the Ravens' best everything at outside linebacker, and so he's in there in there pretty much every down. So, oh well. All right. So anyway, uh, we're not going to beat on Queen too much. I, I will say also Queen missed some tackles in this game and they weren't the typical backfield tackles like a slip off a sack or redirect the running back and, and where a missed tackle is not nearly as bad as a missed tackle somewhere else. They were level two missed tackles. And I had them for three. I don't know what you guys had them for. I didn't I we, we had them two, but I think there was one that I remember watching live and I was like, that's the one that's like, it's right on the borderline or miss the other. The, the other thing I find is that Anytime I think of Patrick Queen now, and I think this has actually only been two plays, but all I can picture is a guy trying to make a tackle and he's grabbing on to like the white undershirt yes. of the player and it's just like pulling <laughs> away. That's I think that's twice has happened already this season. But by the way, I think there should, Maureen said the same thing while we're watching the game. My wife, she said that they, he's got to tuck that shirt in. Yeah. Because it's, because that's not, and, and you know, he's playing the next play. He's, he doesn't have a shirt tucked in. Officials should have been over there saying something, or maybe even sent him to the sideline with an equipment problem. But I, I, this was, I grew up watching football in the 1970s and there was a running back for the Browns, Greg Pruitt, who they used to buy a number of tearaway jerseys for him. And there's a lot of pictures from him in that era <laughs> of, of him wearing these shredded jerseys, basically with people trying to tackle him that they look like they fell apart just like that white shirt did. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's see. We talked a little bit about what was going on. The just the 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 OA thing, we, I don't know if we really talked about that in any depth, but OA played uh a lot of snaps towards the end of that game. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, just absolutely by necessity with the with the depth they have there. And I think it's interesting. I, I hope it's not something that we look back on two or three years from now and ask questions about how it hindered development whereby he you know he's just being asked to do a lot mm-hmm. of stuff he's still a young player still you know someone who didn't play a ton last year you just you're asking him to do a lot and you know i hope that's not hindering how he develops and improves and things and you know as he just being asked just to try and be out there to be a player who's out there and you know all those things but I, while i don't think he's been you know an impact player that you that you desperately want from a from a first round pass rusher. He was the thirty first overall pick. He was you know back end of round one. Consistently flashes some plays here and there. 
and I think at worst he's a solid player in that defense right now. So I think there's still there's a lot of opportunity for him to continue to grow. Um, and obviously, right now they're just asking a lot from him. So I think I hear you hint at the at the other thing you're asking. He missed only five plays, by the way, after the first play of the second drive when Houston. That was the first. That was where Houston got hurt. Yeah. And then the rest of the game, he only missed five plays. So. At, at outside linebacker, there are some teams who, who play their outside linebackers that much. In fact, Terrell Suggs used to miss only a couple snaps per game in his prime, but uh, that's not that's not usual. What may be more difficult, even, and I went into this year thinking uh, they're going to let Oway develop as a rush linebacker as opposed to a Sam linebacker, and they don't have anyone else to play Sam, so he has to be it, which has been very difficult. Yeah, yeah, and that's you know. That's it, he. He has the skill set as well to to be a guy who, you know, third and long, just let mm-hmm. him get after the passer, and let him develop in those ways. And yeah, like you said, like that's where that's where I really hope we don't look back on this and and think of it as a missed opportunity for his development just out of just out of necessity. Yeah, it is. It's almost like a it's almost like a position switch because there are so many additional responsibilities. Harbaugh was very blasé about it during camp. And you know, the question got asked is, is what about Sam linebackers? And he goes, these guys are all outside linebackers. They can play Sam if they need to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if you watch Tyus Bowser play, literally the most specialized Sam linebacker in the NFL, certainly the best coverage outside linebacker in the game or close to it. And you, know, you watch him for years and you pretend like anybody can play outside linebacker. That's just, it's not even respectful to him. No, no, it's not. And they... You know, you just have to hope when he comes back, he's in he's in a good spot to to contribute pretty quickly because you can tell how much they miss that um, they miss that on passing downs. And boy, with Houston out now, it would really be great if Oway could move back to that rush side. I I don't I, I don't know what your expectations are for David Ajabo, and maybe you're you're removed from the injury thing. But I, my hope is only that he gets back on the practice field this year and is ready for twenty three. I don't think there's any realistic hope. He'll be back and contributing this season. I could be wrong, but his injury is in March, and Bowser was injured in January, so Bowser should be about eight weeks ahead of him, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's tough. And I think the the old way thing, my my like expectations are similar to you. Just be ready to go next year. Anything else is a bonus, you know. If you get him, it's tough though as a rookie to be. You know, you imagine you get to the playoffs, and oh, the, you know, you can get on the field now. Mm-hmm. You can, you know. 10 snaps a game, those things. It just doesn't necessarily work that way a lot of times, especially as a rookie when you have to, you know, be aware of a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, but, you know, I still, I I understand why some people are a little bit frustrated with that pick, given what's happened at outside linebacker this year. That's a guy who could have been a top 10 pick, top yep. 15 pick at edge. And sometimes in the draft, you have to think it's round two and we're getting a guy who... If he fully recovers from this, we've potentially got ourselves, you know, a top a top fifteen pick in round two. So, I, I understand why they went down that road. I, I'm in the same place as you. I still think it's a very high risk and not a low floor pick. Uh, sorry, sorry, not a high floor pick. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's a it's a risky pick. Uh, you lose the year developmentally. That to me is disaster waiting to happen. In in year two, he's likely to be a slightly regressed year one good pass rusher you know we, I, and and then he's going to you know he's going to have to start over and build from there learn about the nfl you hope he can learn some of the muscle memory things players like justin houston by the way great teacher um they could tell him all kinds of things about the muscle memory if he can get to a space within the building where he can work with that but but i just i, I i've i see so many players so focused on rehab that they have trouble doing other things to learn positional skills while they're rehabbing rehabbing very tough yeah and and i think as well like even anecdotally ravens fans obviously have memory of year one edge rushers that didn't um that you know missed the whole season couldn't quite get it going in year two you know sergio kendall sergio was kendall, obviously yeah. a big one <laughs> was, uh, was dan cody an edge as well yeah dan cody was an edge um, you know those guys who just that that development hurt them, but you know I, the good thing with David Ojabo is the 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 ceiling is very high. Um, his final season at Michigan was very good, so um, you you have to hope that's something that while there's frustration this year, 
you know, two, three years from now, we're looking back at, at how good the pick that was. Right. Well, hopefully he realizes some of that because the Ravens won't have the money to pay him for a second contract, almost certainly. <laughs> they, they, not if they keep Lamar Jackson anyway. Yeah. So, you know, you got to hope that they realize the value from Ajabo and then they get something of significance for him, either by trade after year three or by or by um, uh, loss in terms of comp pick after year four. And um, the, the, two, the combination of those things are difficult. It's not quite the same as getting a first round pick because you don't get that fifth year option. So I, 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 you know, that's a little bit of my frustration with the pick. But you're right. The, I mean, exactly what you said is exactly the reason why you want David Ajabo in terms of. You could be getting one of the best players in the draft, and you know you had no business getting him at forty-five. But uh, uh, I just I really hate losing developmental years. Yeah, no, and, and it's almost why I remember. And obviously, David Ojabo has strong connections to Scotland. He lived, you know, he lived in Scotland until he was fourteen, I think it was, before moving over to the U.S. Um, originally from Nigeria, and his, his family moved to Aberdeen up in the north of Scotland. Um, so, you know, I, I do a, a podcast with some guys here, so we. I've been big, big fans of his um, along the whole way. I, I thought he would go at the end of round one. I thought someone like Detroit mm-hmm. might take him then because of that fifth-year option that gives you that little bit extra to, you know, you can, that, that one-year development thing, you don't you don't lose it on the back end because if he if he works out, you can, you can give him the fifth-year option. All right. I uh, want to talk a little bit about the packages uh, that were in use in this game. And I'm, I'm just going to go through this a little bit, but we'll talk about some of the compromises. If you want the detail on this, go to the article. It's it's all out there in, in terms of what was there. Uh, so the Ravens played base defense for 18 snaps in this game. Uh, on these plays, it was all first or second down, except for a fourth and one uh, that, they, that they lined up in it. And they had Harrison always as one of the two inside linebackers uh, in, in that, uh, sorry, one of the two. Outside, as one of two outside linebackers in those cases, along with Bynes and Queens. They're playing three inside linebackers on these. Uh, 18 plays, 122 yards. Obviously, the, the Patriots ran the ball very effectively in this game, both with Stevenson and with Jones, but, but mostly with Stevenson. Uh, what do the Ravens have to do to improve their run defense at this point? Yeah, it's... And the thing as well is that it's not even like it's 56 yard run plays, but mm-hmm. every game they seem to be getting burned for those 12, 13, you know, sometimes a little bit less than that plays. Um, it's just guys get to the second level with a bit of a head of steam. And I, mm-hmm. I don't think players like Patrick Queen are necessarily built for guys running at them versus being able to play downhill. And I think that, I think that has a bit of an impact there. I, I would agree with that. They have some good run fit safeties. Clark, a good run fit safety. Uh, you know, they let Tony Jefferson get away. He w- he was outstanding at it. Uh, but but they have you know they have guys who can tackle. Uh, it's it's just they have. Uh, I would agree with you some weakness in inside linebacker. I thought in particular in this game, uh, Josh Bynes looked kind of slow to me. And he had a good game. He, he he read the quarterback really well on that interception. He made some tackles, missed at least one. Um, Might have missed two. Um, and and the uh, the thing that I'm noticing more is that Bynes, I, I've been saying for the last three years, I think, his play speed is a lot higher than his 40 speed, obviously. This year, his play speed looks lower to me, and that really is concerning. Yeah, and I think that was always something that was coming. You know, the, Raven, the mm-hmm. Ravens have, have uh, been very lucky that they've got what they have out of him at this stage mm-hmm. in his career. Um and yeah, like I think I think that game was obviously flashed by the, the interception and things like that, um, but not quite not quite what we've seen in uh, against the run in the past. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on to the standard nickel. Now, this is a this is a package you think they'd be playing a lot because the Patriots play almost all eleven personnel. By my count, they had twelve two tight end snaps during this game, so that's not a lot. 78, anyway, so I did it. 78 total tight end snaps and 66 total plays by the by the game book. So they might have had, you know, some zero tight end snaps, probably not. Um, and uh, they when they don't play much 12, 12 is where, where the Ravens would have the option to bring in big nickel and, and, and play some other bigger three safety looks. But they only played seven snaps of a standard nickel. And they instead played mostly this jumbo nickel for 22 snaps where they brought in an extra defensive lineman and sacrificed 
a, in this case, outside linebacker. So they had two inside linebackers. They had one outside linebacker. In these, these plays, they basically had Campbell playing on the edge. And then they had a nickel in there, in there behind them with, uh, with the normal three corners and two safeties. So a little bit of an oddball kind of an approach to, uh, to facing. I think that it's possible some of that had to do, and I didn't really break this out for, yes, I did. They had 14 runs for 69 with jumbo nickel. And I don't have it broken out for standard nickel. So they didn't really stop the run particularly effectively with their jumbo nickel. And that's part of the sacrifice you're making to get that extra defensive lineman in there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I, I, I hadn't spent a lot of time looking at, looking at those numbers, but it's interesting to see how, how they tried to kind of combat it and it still didn't really work. Yeah. Uh, the standard dime we talked about, that was very effective, of course, in this game. And I think we've, we covered that in the earlier section. They went to three plays a quarter at the end of the first half. Uh, we had some uh, back and forth on on the sheets and making sure that was true, but it was it, it was they they just had four guys in there: Campbell, Oway, Copeland, and Queen uh, to go with uh, the four safeties and three corners. So Stone got his only three snaps at that point, uh, and they moved the ball three yards. Th- sorry, three plays, thirty-two yards to uh, to set up that field goal. I thought first there's two things that bother me about this. Number one is incredible Homer clock management on that thing, meaning, meaning the clock was being run by an obvious Patriots fan. I, I cannot say I noticed it at the time, but I've definitely yeah. noticed in the past and in, in home games whereby you get those extra couple of seconds. Mm-hmm. It, it does happen sometimes at home too, guys. So, uh, Todd Heap had a two second reception to the outside in a game. And I think in his rookie year, I think it might've, might've happened against the, in that first game against the bears in his rookie year. In fact, but he had a two-second reception anyway at the end of the half. Uh, I just, it just, just the the when the clock gets killed before the whistle and you can actually see it happening on TV, that's very bothersome. And so, uh, you know, they ended up with one second left at the time of the kick. So it obviously they were doing it for several plays for those last thirty seconds. So it obviously had an impact. Yeah, I, I find it interesting that that's, there's not like a standardized thing for officials around that. Whereby here's the scoreboard operator for this game. Yeah, they they you you guys may be familiar with this at PFF, but I've seen the software for how they run the clock, and it's 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 very interesting. But but anyway, it's it's out there online. It's available if you want to look at NFL clock management. You could probably find it uh, in terms of of how they operate that system. And the, I think what I saw is actually not the software, but a manual for it. So it, it kind of tells you how they uh, how they go through that. And what else was pissing me off about the quarter? I really always hate it on the on the last play of a half, and this is now the second time the Ravens have been burned by this, where they put their two outside linebackers on the boundary. Did you notice that? Yeah. Okay. Strange. Yeah. So they, they want to get an inbounds tackle. And so they've got these guys at 15 yards, and they're trying to make sure that. But all it does is basically allow for a shorter completion. They rushed zero on that play, which is that doesn't happen very often, maybe once every season or two. You see a zero zero man pass rush, but they did it this year, and they and they of course gave up a a quick ten yard out that I I don't think was really defensible by Hamilton. I think the only the only criticism I would have by him is that, and I think this is probably the only or one of the criticisms I would have for the first few weeks in the NFL is a little bit stiff in the hips when he tries to turn, like gets himself and. But I don't know that he would have been able to get himself in position to 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 actually defend it. I thought as well. And maybe I'm maybe I'm just being hopeful here. I I don't I don't know that Mac Jones is really threatening from what probably would have been about the forty five yard line he was going to be throwing it from. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's necessarily got a weak arm, but he's not. You know, I think you've got an opportunity to defend that if that does go into the end zone. Um, and I Nick Folk's a good enough kicker that you're you're setting yourself up for um, for conceding that that uh, field goal at the end. Here's, here's what I want to know. How is Campbell helping them in the middle of the field? Because I'll start with that. If you drop Campbell 10, 15 yards off the line of scrimmage, yeah, he can make a tackle there, and they're in field goal. Uh, sorry. And and the clock will run out if that's doing. But they're, they're not running their play there. Yeah. And, and so, you know, if they run their play there, well, they've done you the favor. But you've done them the favor of taking Campbell out of the pass rush. Even I think even a three-man pass rush provides the quarterback with some – difficulty that they might not be able to deal with or the, the possibility of some difficulty. And so I thought that, that if they had Copeland and, and Oway at the line of scrimmage and just rush with three, I'd have been happy. But 
um, it wasn't the way it worked out, obviously. No, no. And I suppose if you, you know, they weren't, they weren't, you know, too many yards away from it being a successful strike. You know, they were obviously willing to give up some yards, obviously hoping that. And I think probably what they hoped was give up something underneath and Kyle Hamilton gives up the catch, but he's maybe able to make that tackle for two, three yards less than, than what it eventually goes for. And, you know, it makes the field goal try a little bit more difficult. But uh, it was definitely something at the end of the half that, and, and I think pretty much everyone um, straight away couldn't really understand why they were as conservative as they were. Right. All right. Go, remind people of Carolina game a few years ago where they tried to do the same thing, and I think it was Olsen got. Might have been. It was it still Olsen in the league all that all those years. I think so. I think yeah. So. Yeah. He got a. He got about a 10, 15 yard reception that put him in field goal range right before halftime. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, outstanding stuff, Gordon. We're gonna we're gonna come back for part two of this in just a couple minutes. Uh, again, he's at pff underscore Gordon. Correct. That's correct. Yeah. All right. Outside. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter. Fantastic stuff. And we'll see you in just a minute. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.